I hold no faith in distant memories. To me, they are as trustworthy as the boards of an aging footbridge, the planks heavy with decay. Time can corrupt a memory, spoil its shape, its color, its truth, wear it down to the point that it's barely recognizable. For example, for many years I treasured a memory of my father. He died when I was still quite young, but I could picture the back of his head, his strong hands, when he'd carried me on his broad shoulders. It took me years to admit that image was stolen from a photo of us I'd found in my mother's closet. That my memory was only a fantasy born of my need to feel his presence. When I went to college, and later law school, I allowed logic to blow out the last remaining flicker of that candle. My ersatz memories traded for reason. Truth wasn't truth unless I could hold it in my hand or usher it safely through a gauntlet of logical debate. And although I sometimes mourned the loss of that part of me that could just believe for the sake of believing, I eagerly put it aside. And so, I feel somewhat duplicitous writing down this account of those ten strange days, which, even with all the reason and logic and training I can muster, I still can't explain. Where does one turn when logic fails? And I worry that years from now this memory too might bear little resemblance to the truth. Will I come to embrace what has happened, or will I deny it? All I know is that I cannot trust time to bring clarity. Yet, I feel too close to it all right now to make sense of it. For that reason, I've decided to put pen to paper, to capture my most accurate version of the truth before it fades from my mind, and hope there comes a day when I can look back with some new perspective on the ordeal of those ten days. An ordeal that began when I met Ruth Matthews. I was in my office at the law school, grading criminal procedure exams, my least favorite part about being a professor, when she showed up at my door. The first glimpse of Ruth was like taking notice of a moth. She appeared quietly, her clothing and demeanor faded, like dust on a wing. A slightly plump woman, with hair the color of fireplace ash, she wore a gray sweater buttoned to the throat despite the warm June day, and a brown skirt that brushed the tops of her shoes as she walked. The one thing that stood out was the metal crucifix that hung on a leather cord around her neck. Thick and heavy, it looked more like a yoke than an adornment. As big as my hand, it had been made of two steel bars crudely welded together. Ruth brushed her fingers across it as she stood timidly in my office doorway. Professor Sandon, she asked in a voice so soft that it barely carried the short distance to my desk. Yes? I'm Miss Matthews. I have an appointment. I had forgotten about the appointment, but stood and smiled as if I had been waiting. Please, call me Bodie. I waved her to the visitor's chair and tried to recall our brief phone call. She had a husband. No, a brother who had been convicted of murder, and she was looking for help from the Innocence Project. I had once been the director of the Innocence Project, 
but handed the baton off when it became a full-time job. Now I handled cases only as a volunteer attorney. Because I was just finishing my spring semester and I had no classes to teach that summer, I decided to take a look at her case.